Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. I'm so glad that you're with me today for this journey of exploring, understanding, explaining, and defending our Catholic faith. So much we can learn in the seven petitions, really, of the Lord's Prayer about God and about ourselves. And we left off in the last episode looking at the, the petition, Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to get into the second part later on earth as it is in heaven. But one of the things that we said last time was that God, when he created us, he gave us the gift of free will. And he kind of looked at it like a gentleman lover. He basically said, in essence, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And of course, giving us free will opened the door to the possibility of sin. We know that uh, he actually gave the same choice to the angels as well. Uh, Satan, and uh, he, of course, was created to be a powerful angel to worship and serve God forever. His name was Lucifer, but he rebelled. The choice they had, though, the angels, was an eternal choice. They can never repent. That's not the case for us. We can get back online with God's will. And we do have that choice. Uh, There are some forms of, of theology that are not Catholic that deny human free will. They, they basically believe that uh, there is no choice, that everything is predestined. And that's not, that's not true. That's not true. So when people say, why bother praying for God's will to be done? Uh, well, we should. We should bother. We should bother. And there are really two errors that, can, uh, that people can fall into. And Scott Hahn mentions this uh, in his book, Understanding Our Father. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But first of all, one of the things we have to understand, and this is what the Catechism tells us in paragraph 2611, is that when we pray for the will of God to be accomplished, God's will is, is always the same, but uh, we're not. We're not. We need to be strengthened to actually do the will of God. And that's what the, the Catechism tells us in paragraph 2611. It says, The prayer of faith consists not only in saying, Lord, Lord, but in disposing the heart to do the will of the Father. Jesus calls his disciples to bring into their prayer this concern for cooperating with the divine plan. And so, of course, the the example that we have in the life of Jesus that comes to mind is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and his human nature, he did not want to go to the cross. He knew the, the rigors, the horror, the excruciating, and literally that means out of the cross, the excruciating pain that would result. He said, Lord, if there is any other way to do this, let's do do it that way. But uh, this is exemplified in his prayer when he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's in Matthew 26, 39. And that was the will of the father for him to go to the cross. And so he was able to do it. He was given the strength. An angel appears. He is strengthened in his prayer and he's able to do it. And so we have to as well. We have to learn to do the will of God. And uh, another sobering statement from Jesus, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew seven twenty one. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, that is a sobering, sobering statement from Jesus in Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, it's not just about knowing about Jesus. It's not just about 
believing that he exists, believing that he is the divine son of God. It's he or she who does the will of my father who is in heaven. That's what counts. It's all about action. It's, it's not about talk. It's not about what you say you believe. It's what you actually believe and your deeds prove that to others. Something very, very important to remember. And when we do that, we become uh, really part of the family indeed, not just in word. And we know that we are, as baptized Catholics, we are part of the family of God, the church. But we have to, we have to make that, we have to actualize that. We don't want to be just uh, deadbeat members of the church. We've got to actually live it. And Jesus said uh, there was a time in the gospel when his mother, Mary, and some others, maybe people from the community, were uh, outside of the place where he was teaching, and they were a little bit concerned about him at that point. Some people were. Is he out of his mind? And Jesus said, uh, he was told that uh, your mother and, and some others are outside, and they're looking for you. Jesus says, well, whoever does, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. One of the places you can find that is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. And so this isn't a shot at Jesus' mother, by the way. And when Jesus speaks of his brothers, that doesn't mean that Mary had other children. Interestingly enough, Mary was the one who did God's will best of all. She was the exemplar of doing God's will. So he's not taking a shot at his mother. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And St. Augustine once said that Mary conceived Christ in her heart by always doing his will long before she ever conceived Christ in her womb. And, and really, that was not part of what qualified her to be the mother of God, this, this soul that, that God had prepared from all eternity uh, to bring him into the world in the flesh. And so we've got to have that same predisposition to do God's will that Mary had too. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. Now, now here, here are the two errors that we can fall into when doing God's will or wanting to do God's will. And Scott Hahn mentions these uh, in his book. He basically calls the two errors fatalism and pietism. Okay, we don't want to make these mistakes. Now, what is fatalism? That, that's this resignation that, well, oh God, your will is going to get done no matter what. So I just have to get through it. I just have to accept it. I just have to grin and bear it. I just have to grit my teeth and fight through it. Okay, so that, that's fatalism. It's kind of a resignation. It's, I'm not really participating in this. Well, that's, that's one problem. And then pietism is another error. And that's someone who struggles with excessive scrupulosity. And by the way, <laughs> I, I've been there. I understand what that's like to struggle with scruples. But sometimes people can say things like, Lord, what, what color shirt do you want me to wear? I mean, they just they, they want to pray about every little detail and make sure that everything they're doing is in line with God's will. What they have for breakfast. And they're, and they're afraid of making a mistake. And as Scott Hahn says, really, both of these attitudes are flawed because in, in neither case is there the attitude of a child, a trusting child towards his or her father. So at the end of the day, that's what's going on here. You're denying the fatherhood of God. A lot of people wouldn't think of it that way. They think, oh, no, I'm trying to please God. 
But we have to be very, very careful uh, with this indeed. And so we've got to really make a distinction between the universal will of God for all people and the particular will of God for you. So let's think about the universal will of God. There, there are a number of things that God wants for all people, that, that we all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, as the New Testament says. The Ten Commandments, that's another expression of God's universal will for all people. The moral law never goes out of style. That we become saints, and this is such a great emphasis in the New Covenant. Uh, St. Paul, in many of his letters, he opens his letter to the Romans, uh, his, letter to, his first letter to the Corinthians, to those in Rome, called to be saints, to those in Corinth, called to be saints. We're called to be canonizable saints, and really that's what our baptism prepares us for, uh, gets us on the journey towards, really baptized for two reasons. Number one, to become saints, to seek holiness, to allow God to make us holy is probably a better way to put it. We are nothing but clay in the potter's hands, but we're also called to help other people become saints, and that's, that's really the second half of our call, apostolate. So to become a saint and help others to do so too. When you boil it all down, that's it. That, and that's, that's part of God's universal will as well. But then there's God's particular will. And that, that has to do with a word called vocation in large part. So that's, if God's will is for everybody to become a saint, his particular will, your vocation in life, is how you're going to do that. It's, it's a specification of the universal call, how you personally are going to live out your vocation to holiness and apostolate. Now, it could be through the call to marriage and family life, becoming a parent. Uh, it could be through uh, celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. Well, the, don't forget, there's marriage for the sake of the kingdom too, and celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. It's it's all for the sake of the kingdom. There is the religious life. There is the call to the priesthood. There is There are many other vocations in the church. The vocation to Opus Dei, for example. And some of these vocations are not mutually exclusive. You, you could be called to more than one. It could be a call within a call, as it were. Another example of God's particular will for you is, is who you should marry. Let's say you're called to marriage, it's who you should marry. So when it comes to these questions of the particular will of God, it calls for a lot of discernment. It calls for a lot of prayer. Spiritual direction is not a bad idea. But there's, there are also many, many elements of freedom involved too. And, and this is part of what St. Paul calls the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so when you're, when you're obsessing over what color shirt to put on, that, that's not necessarily a great attitude of a child of God. Uh, let's say you feel that, that God has called you to marriage. I understand that it's not called to marriage or love in the general, but it's called to, to marry someone in particular. Well, you say, well, hey, uh, there, are, there are two amazing Catholic women I'm thinking of marrying. You know, whom should I marry? Well, if they're both amazing... In a sense, you can't go wrong, right? Pray, pray about it. You can't marry them both, obviously, but, but you get the point. So having a proper attitude about the freedom of the children of God is important to relate to God as Father. We, we don't want to view him as a taskmaster and yourself as a robot that will always do what you're pre-programmed to do. No, God has given us freedom. And there is a lot of 
a lot of room to run free. It's almost like a, a thoroughbred that's running in a field. There is a fence line around that field, but within that 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 field, he he's free to just just roam and jump and run and and, and be creative within that. And so uh, maybe that's maybe that's a good example. Maybe it's not, but we we don't want to give in to this this anxiety of uh, uh, of some that that unfortunately have fallen into those those two traps, fatalism and pietism. St. Augustine puts it this way. He said, love God and do whatever you want. And, and here's the thing. If you're really loving God, you're wanting to please him, you're not going to do anything sinful. Uh, he, he said this in one of his homilies on uh, the first letter of John. Love God and do what you will, because you're not going to harm your neighbor. You're not going to do anything that's offensive to God. If you're loving him totally, that's like the the best the best reason to be. It's not just the commandment to to not commit adultery. That's a good reason to be faithful to your spouse. It's that you love your spouse, and you want to positively uh, be faithful to her and show her uh, that love. Uh, you shouldn't have to be coerced into it. And so, a lot to think about here when it comes to the will of God. But one of the one of the things it also says, of course, in this petition, "Thy will be done" in the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what what about that part? What about that part? We we explored that in some detail in the last episode, that in heaven God's will is always done. But there's also something else we can do, despite the fact we we have we have human freedom. There's something else that we do every week. There's something that we do sometimes every day in some cases to make sure that God's will in heaven is manifest on earth. Now, it has to do with the way we worship God. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. So, again, Scott Hahn, in his book, he mentions this, and he does such a great job in another book that he wrote as well called The Lamb's Supper. And it's all about the biblical roots of the Mass, the liturgy, the divine liturgy that we celebrate. And so this, this is a big part of what God wants for us. This is a big part of his will for us. And even in the Old Testament time, God had specific ideas about how he wanted to be worshipped. Moses, King Solomon, when Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness on their journey to the promised land, he didn't just come up with these plans himself. Oh, let, let's, let's you know, put these carvings in there. No, no, no. God told him exactly how he wanted it to be. When he was on the holy mountain, he was given the vision. He was given the plans. He was given the drafts, and then he had to construct it. In the same way, when Solomon built the first temple, it was all according to how God is worshipped in the heavenly holy of holies. So, for example, you could look at uh, Exodus chapter 25 through 27. First uh, Chronicles 28, 19 is interesting. It says, All this he made clear, by the writing from the hand of the Lord concerning it. All the work to be done according to the plan. In the book of Wisdom, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, You have given command to build a temple on your holy mountain and an altar in the city of your habitation, a copy of the holy tent which you prepared from the beginning. And that's exactly why things were constructed the way they were. Earthly worship is to mirror heavenly worship, heavenly liturgy. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, 
Isaiah has his famous vision of the Lord in the heavenly temple. Here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And that us may be a sign of the Trinity there. Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Hear and hear, but do not understand. See and see, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. <laughs> That's always been a very interesting uh, couple of verses for people to understand. Why would God not want people to see or hear, understand, turn, be healed? It's not that he doesn't want that, but this is something that Jesus quoted as well in the gospel. And Jesus was basically saying this with respect to his teaching on the kingdom. And basically he said this, if your heart is open to the message from God, you will be given understanding. But if you if you don't want to hear it, if you don't want to see the truth, if you don't want to listen to the truth, if you don't want to live the truth, then why would God give you more? But those who are open to the message, they will be given the understanding that they need. But God's not going to force you to listen. And that that's really, again, the heart of God allowing us free will. And so this is really important. But the main point here is that Isaiah sees in Isaiah chapter 6 the heavenly worship in God's throne room. And you can see something similar when you look at Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 to 28. It's a, it's a little bit longer, so I won't read that one, but you, you can look this up on your own. And so what's going on in the sanctuary, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and ultimately in the church as well, is a picture of what's going on in heaven. That's what happens when we go to Mass. We are joining in to the eternal worship of all the angels and saints of our triune God. It's incredible. And so that's why we say holy, holy, holy uh, in the liturgy. It comes from Isaiah. We can also see this, by the way, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And in his book, The Lamb's Supper, Scott Hahn <laughs> lists so many parallels from the book of Revelation to what happens when we go to Mass. It's quite an impressive list. The scriptures are liturgical. And so, this is what it's all about. The whole earth is to be a, a cosmic temple for the Lord. And, and in eternity, the new heavens, the new earth will be one. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, uh, but I do know it's going to be 
wonderful. And Hahn actually gives a quote uh, in his book, Understanding Our Father, from St. John Chrysostom. And he was known as the golden tongue or the golden mouth. That's why that's what the, the word Chrysostom means. A uh, wonderful preacher in the early church. And here's what he talks about, how, how our earthly worship at the Mass is exactly the same as what's going on in heaven. The, the two are brought together. Uh, St. John Chrysostom says, quote, What are the heavenly things he speaks of here? The spiritual things. For although they are done on earth, yet nevertheless they are worthy of the heavens. For when our Lord Jesus Christ lies slain as a sacrifice, when the Spirit is with us, when he who sits at the right hand of the Father is here, when sons are made sons by the washing, and that's reference to baptism, when sons are made sons by the washing, when they are fellow citizens of those in heaven, when we have a country and a city and a citizenship there, when we are strangers to things here, how can all these be other than heavenly things? But what, are not our hymns heavenly? Do we not also here below utter in concert with them the same things which the divine choirs of bodiless powers, and he's talking about the angels there, the bodiless powers sing above, is not the altar also heavenly? A beautiful words by the great preacher St. John Chrysostom about how our earthly liturgy really is, it's not just a, an imitation of heavenly worship. It is heavenly worship. We join in with the worship of heaven at the Mass, and God himself is there, especially in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, speaking of the Eucharist, that, of course, is our super substantial bread, our supernatural food, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And so that kind of does tie in to the next petition that we're going to look at in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. And so this is important as well because this, this, this petition functions on a few different levels. Give us this day our daily bread. And Han basically says, it, it, really, when we're asking God for our bread... We're asking him as if it is our bread. It actually belongs to us. Well, that, that can only be the case if God is our Father, if he is obligated to provide bread for his children, just like a human father is obligated to provide food for his family. And so that's what this is all about. In the church, we are part of the family of God, along with the, the saints and angels in heaven as well. We're not lone rangers. We are together as God's children in his home, the church. And so this is a family prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And in the ancient world, if you were living in a kingdom that was a very successful and the king was looking after his subjects, guess what? Uh, there weren't grocery stores back then. You, know, you didn't click an order on Amazon for your food. It was delivered to you. There was a daily rationing of bread that was given throughout the kingdom. And so sometimes when things were going really, really well, people would get extra. <laughs> and this is what Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 55, verse 1. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money 
and without price. This this idea of without money and without price. Uh, not only was that true of earthly kingdoms that were doing really well, but it's certainly true of God's supernatural kingdom, that there is food to be provided. And in fact, the ancient Jews expected that in the age of the Messiah, this would literally come true on earth. Well, this is what we understand uh, in the church about how God has provided meal for his people. So let's take a look a little bit about uh, the word that's used here uh, in Matthew's gospel, uh, in Matthew's version of the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, talking about uh, this bread. So, give us this day our daily bread is a little bit unclear in the original Greek because there's this word that's used and truthfully, nobody really knows what it means. It's very strange. It's very rare. It's the word epiusion. Now, that's that's what's translated in your English Bible as daily. Give us our daily bread. What does that mean, epiusion? Well, Origen, who is a very prolific writer in the early church, he called it bread for subsistence. Bread for subsistence. You know, there's an ancient prayer of the rabbis as well, which might be in view. And there, here's the prayer. May it be your will, Lord our God, to give to each and everyone according to his needs and to each and every creature what he lacks. So this might shed some light on what this means, this daily bread. It could be Jesus saying, hey, you need to ask God for the bread for subsistence, the bread that you need, the bread that you lack. And, and that could be physical food, for should give us this day our daily bread, the physical bread on our table. But there might be something else in play as well. Let's look at the book of Exodus, Exodus 16, verse 4. God says, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And in Hebrew, it actually says, Debar Yom Biomo, which literally means the thing of the day in its day. So obviously this reference to the manna, the bread that God served, if you will, the people of Israel as they were traveling in the wilderness. Was it supernatural bread? Well, not really, but it had a supernatural source. But there's something even more. There's, there's another type of bread it's even greater than this that God gives to us. I think you can probably guess what it is. But we'll talk more about that on the next episode of The Faith Explained. Until then, I'm Kale Clark. Thanks for joining me today. If you missed an episode, you can always catch them in podcast form on the relevant radio app. I'll join you in the next one, and I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio for The Kale Clark Show. Until next time, God bless you.